The reading is from Book 2 of Kings, Chapter 4, Verses 1 to 7. The Widow's Oil. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing. There is at all. Except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, Go around and ask all your neighbours for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. This is the word of the Lord. Well, do we have any historians amongst us this morning? I've got a list of historical events, and they all took place in one year, and I'll read them out, and you can guess what the year is. And if you can guess what the year is, put your hand up, don't say, because that gives other people a chance to think. But uh, just put your hand up, and we'll see how we get on. Okay? This was the year that Boeing introduced the first 747 jumbo jet. Oh, we've got one hand over here already. Very good. This was the year that the the first manned spacecraft orbited the moon. It's actually on Christmas Eve. Got some more hands going up. Good. This was the year that two black athletes at the Mexico Summer Olympics raised a black glove fist during the presentation of their gold and bronze awards for, um, uh, in the Olympics uh, as a protest against racial discrimination. This was the year that Manchester United won the European Cup final, becoming the first English team to do so. This was the year that the 39-year-old civil rights leader Martin Luther King was assassinated. Well, let's see. So I think the first person was over here. Which, which year was it? Very good, well done, very good. And the rest of you, if you've got that, that's also very good, well done. It was 1968. And it was in 1968 that Tear Fund was born. So for those of you who are quick at maths, that means that Tear Fund has now been going for 50 years. In Leviticus 25, we learn how important 50 years was to the Israelites. The 50th year was to be the year of Jubilee. And uh, in essence, Jubilee was about restoring people. Slaves were to be freed. Debts were to be cancelled. And people who had lost their houses were to be able to return to them. And over the the 50 years of Tear Fund's work, we can see, um, we've seen individuals and communities across the world who have experienced restoration, freedom and justice. People who have been able to begin a new life, just like in the Jubilee. 
And so uh, over this 50 years, the number of people living in extreme poverty has actually halved. That's great, isn't it? Through the work of our local church partners, we've seen millions during that time in different countries who've uh, been lifted from material and spiritual poverty. And yet, there is still poverty, isn't there? God says in Deuteronomy 15.4 that the, the Sabbath years and the Jubilee years are so that there will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you. And Tierfund believes that an end to extreme poverty is possible, and so our current campaign for the Jubilee year is we won't stop until poverty stops. So how do we do that? I like this morning's reading, don't you? Nice little story. There's a poor widow who has nothing. Her children are about to be taken into slavery. She goes to see the prophet and he gets God to do a miracle and she gets what she needs. Except that that's not exactly how it happened, is it? Did you notice the, the husband was a prophet? He was a servant of God. And yet that didn't stop him getting into debt, did it? He dies and his sons are about to be taken into slavery. And that, that's not that unusual in some parts of the world, even today. In India and Pakistan, for example, there are families that have been bonded labour for years, for generations, because they, uh, they can't pay off an old debt. And last summer, in, um, TFM produced a leaflet in, on Zimbabwe and orphans and widows there. And one of the things it said was, they, a family of orphan children told us, we have been struggling to clear the debt incurred by our late parents. Thank God the church came to our help. So our situation in this country where our debts are die with us is not the, not the case elsewhere. Anyway, the, the widow of the prophet has nothing and so she goes to seek help from Elisha who was the, the chief prophet at the time. What does he do? Does he do a miracle and magic money out of the air for her? Well, No. Does he say, I'll pray for you? Well, that would have been a good thing to do, and I'm very sure that he very probably did pray for her, but that's not what he says. Did he go and try and persuade the creditors to let her off? Now, I work for CAB, and if she'd come to us, that's what we'd have done. We'd have looked to see what she could afford, and then we'd have gone and tried to negotiate a better deal with the, the creditors. But no, Elisha doesn't do that. Did he have a whip round amongst the other prophets for her? Well, no. So what does he do? Well, he asks her what she already has. And what she already has is a small jar of oil. In your version it said olive oil. In the original, the, the jar is described as actually um, an anointing oil jar. So it would actually have been a very small quantity. And it may well have been anointing oil that she had bought to uh, anoint the body of her late husband. So the widow is told to collect empty jars and uh, to fill them from the little bit that she has. God is going to do a miracle. He is going to provide for her, but she must also do her part with the little bit that she has. It's not going to be a handout. She must work and she must have faith. And as a result, she has enough oil not only to pay off her debt, but also to provide money to live on for the future. If the, if the money had only paid off the debt, she would still have had nothing. She would have been borrowing again and she'd have been back in exactly the same situation quite soon afterwards. But God provides generously and uh, the sale of the oil gave her enough not only to pay off the debt but actually also to live on and for her longer term future. So her life has been changed completely and she now has enough to live on. 
And that's God's way of working. It's not a case of those of us who are rich and have lots giving a bit to the poor because we feel sorry for them or we want to uh, make ourselves feel better in the process. That's not where it's at, is it? As Christians, we are one body, Paul tells us. When one hurts, we all hurt. When one weeps, we all weep. And that's community, that's the church. We're to use our gifts, we're told, our talents, our possessions, our blessings for each other. And so Tier Fund supports local Christian organisations and local churches to uh, reach out and support their own local community. Now, I worked, as I told you earlier, in Nepal for some years for a partner organisation of Tier Fund and amongst the things we did was to assist local people to set up small self-help groups. And a little story may illustrate this. These are some of the, the women in one of the groups and this next picture is them having a, having a meeting. And four of these groups had come together and what they wanted was they wanted to build a road to the forest so that they could get their animals along there to feed. They had a problem because it was very steep and the road was very narrow and the animals kept falling off. I know that sounds funny, but if we show you what a road in Nepal looks like, you might get the idea. This road actually is the main road from Mugu district through to India and migrant workers use it as a main route to get to India. So... You know, this is quite an important road, even though it looks pretty small. Uh, Another picture, there's an animal on on the road and one more slightly wider road, but you can see the problem. Now, to get this road, they had to coordinate money and inputs from uh, four or five different agencies, and they had to work with local government, and uh, these these groups were all women, but they organised, and they, uh, they got the men to do the building. That in itself was a change in attitudes. Our facilitators helped. We didn't do it. They did it. We just gave assistance and advice where it was necessary. The villagers even managed to get paid for doing the building work, so it was even better. Now, these were women who were mostly illiterate, they were innumerate, and they had no formal education. And so you can imagine how chuffed they were when they completed what they'd done and the road was, was there for them. Sometime later, uh, they decided that the community needed a a stretcher to get pregnant women and others who were sick to the health post a few miles away. One of the people almost immediately said, what can INF do? INF was the organisation I worked for and uh, one of our facilitators was sitting at the back and she just kept very quiet. And then someone else said, we can sort this out. So they went on to talk about how they might raise the money for the stretcher, they put in an application to a local agency Um, And then they decided that if they didn't get the money from the agency, they would use some of the money they'd earned from building the road. And uh, one member of the committee said later, other organisations give us money and things, but INF has taught us to think. And I think that's one of the best things I heard while I was in Nepal. Other people give us things, you have taught us to think. Now that's empowerment, isn't it? In Matthew 6, 34, Jesus saw the crowd, it says, and had compassion on them. Why? Well, no, not because they were poor, not because they were oppressed, not even because they were under the the rule of the Romans. But it says, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. So Jesus provided leadership, and he taught the crowd many things that they could do for themselves.
That again is empowerment, isn't it? The Democratic Republic of the Congo is the second largest country in Africa. Um, it's got a population of 80 million and it has amazing natural resources. For example, it produces the majority of the world's cobalt. That used to be a byproduct of copper, but it's now a vital component. It's used in batteries and you've probably got some in your mobile phone. And they've got something like two-thirds of the world's supply there. But at the same time, the DRC is one of the poorest countries in the world. And 87% of the population are living below the poverty line. The country has been devastated by repeated conflicts. The mines are unregulated, polluted. They use extensive child labour down to the ages of four or five. Relationships are broken down. Turmoil is ongoing. The country is not just economically fragile, it's also socially and politically fragile. But broken countries and broken communities are not new, are they? And God knows how communities become unjust and unequal. So that's why he gave Moses the, the jubilee years to try and regularly restore society. Now, the detailed instructions for those who are in Leviticus 25, and you can read them if you want to, we're not going to go into them now because they're quite complex. Essentially, they are concerned with how the Israelites should treat one another in their social relationships, in, their, in business, in employment. Jubilee was to provide economic st security, stability and well-being for the community. But while it's a, a vision of life as it was meant to be, Jubilee also acknowledges the reality, and the reality is that society gradually drifts further away from God's intentions. And as this happens, it says in that chapter, some would become poor, some would take advantage of them, and some might even need to sell themselves into bonded labour, and think back to the, the lady with the oil at the beginning. And we can see all this even in our own country today, can't we? Poverty and the need for food banks, and I believe Guildford Food Bank is one of your church missions, isn't it? Exploitation and the abuse of power situations. Well, we've certainly heard a lot about that in the, in the news recently. Housing problems. You've had somebody speaking about that just now. Modern slavery and people trafficking. And this is in a, a free democratic country with the rule of law. Just imagine what it's like to live in the DRC amongst marauding armed bands. Now, in ancient Israel, through Jubilee, God wanted to establish a system that offered justice for all. Redemption, restoration, liberation and renewal. And uh, he still wants that, of course, for us today. And in the DRC, God's people are carrying his light into some of the most difficult to reach areas. You've seen what roads are like. <laughs> uh, and dangerous places as well. And as they do that, they're seeing remarkable transformations. So what I'd like to do now is just to play, we'll play a short video about the DRC and you'll perhaps be able to get some feel for that. We believe restoration is available for everyone. Motivated by the relentless love of Jesus. We're helping individuals and communities unlock their God-given potential. And discover that the answer to poverty lies within themselves. In the 50 years since we started, working alongside local church partners, we have seen millions of people across the world released from poverty. 
people like Birungi. My name is Birungi. I am from a village in the rainforest of the Democratic Republic of Congo. It is a country full of potential, but after years of fighting, life is hard for families, and it is especially hard for girls. My family has always been poor. When I was younger, I had to stay at home to look after my little brother and sister. I wanted to care for them, but I really wanted to go to school. I knew that if I studied hard at school, I could get a job. But school was too expensive. My uncle had about a skill center supported by Tiafan's partner. All are welcome, even children who have never been to school. When I heard there was a place for me, I was so happy. They told me how Jesus offers freedom to everyone. I qualified and got a sewing machine to start a dressmaking business. I started earning. I then saved for a better sewing machine powered by pedals. I then saved more to buy a piglet. I sold the adult pig and had money to buy a calf. I'm now saving for more calves. When I sell my cows, I will be able to buy land or a house. When I'm sewing, I feel empowered. I wanted to be set free. And I was. Without my training, I would still be at home, without even enough food to live on. I would be suffering. I thank God for this work and how Tiafan support set me free. Birungi has overcome extreme poverty. She has a hope and a future restored to her and is now a role model in her community. But 87% of people in the Democratic Republic of Congo still live below the poverty line. Too many lives around the world remain broken. We believe an end to poverty is possible. And we all have a part to play. We won't stop. We won't stop. We won't stop. Until poverty stops. Until poverty stops. Will you join us? Tiafan's been working in the DRC since uh, 1986 um, and it's currently supporting seven partner organisations there. And one of these, which we've just seen on the video, is uh, Action on Trade, which uh, means in French self-help. It's not trade, as, it's A-Day as in help and not trade as in the English trade. And Action on Trade is, uh, is committed to empowering people. They're not, they're not giving handouts. They equip people with tools and training and skills so that they can then build strong and sustainable futures for themselves. Through the Skills Workshop and other initiatives, Action on Trade is enabling people like Burungi to discover answers to poverty within themselves. And as they do so, their dignity and their self-worth are restored. And that's empowerment, like the, the women with the uh, the stretcher. Burungi was the eldest child and in a poor family, rural family like hers, girls were expected to stay at home and look after their younger brothers and sisters. So Burungi didn't get a chance to go to school like the, the boys in the village. The expectation for her was that when she came of age she would marry an older man and then bring a diary and therefore economic resources into the family. 
That was the expectation. Now, fortunately, in her case, her uncle saw more for her than that and told her about Tierfan's partner and the, uh, the skills workshop. And that gave Varungi a chance to start rewriting her own future, to develop what she already had, like the, like the woman with the jar of oil, multiply it. Varungi also discovered her true self-worth. She's now confident in her identity as a precious daughter of God. And so in our 50th uh, Jubilee year, it's great to be able to share stories like hers of redemption and restoration, but we also want to be in there to help write new stories for others into the future. In the DRC, Tier Fund's local church partners are following Jesus' teaching. They're bringing good news to the poor. They're setting the captives free. They're empowering men and women like Burungi to rewrite their futures so that they no longer have to live in poverty. And God calls us as well, the wider church, to be part of this. Did you realise that the, the church is the largest civil society network on the planet? Bill Hybels once said, the local church is the hope for the world. And he's, he's right, isn't he? Burungi said, without my training, I would still be at home. Without even enough food to live on, I would be suffering. Instead, she now has options, doesn't she? She has a hope for the future. She's looked up to in her community as a, as a role model. But there are other women, of course, like Burungi, who still need opportunities to lift themselves and their families out of poverty. And so in our 50th year, we have a vision. And our vision is to see five million people this year restored from material and spiritual poverty. Sounds hard, doesn't it? Um, and on our own, that, of course, would be impossible. But we believe that with God, um, this vision is achievable. Of course, it needs the, the church to work together. And so um, I want to invite you to be part of this this morning. Now, I realise that, of course, this church is already a strong supporter of Tier Fund. We're one of your main missions. You give regularly. You've collected when there have been um, relief, when there have been major disasters. And uh, I know quite a large number of you already give individually. And uh, we really appreciate the way that you've uh, joined with us in this. And together we are providing training and local support that can enable families to secure a hunger-free future. And what you do is part of the church's response to poverty. And so thank you for that. For those of you who are perhaps less familiar with Tier Fund, perhaps I can uh, broaden your thinking a little about ways in which perhaps you can be involved. Firstly, Tier Fund is wholly dependent on prayer because this is his kingdom and we rely on prayer. I remember that when I went out with Tier Fund to work in Afghanistan, they invited staff in the London office to pray for me before I went. Now, that's not something that normally happens in uh, development agencies. So, yes, it would be great if you could pray for the work, and we'd be happy to send you information so you can do so. For example, we have a very interesting magazine called Tier Times. Um, if you're not familiar with it, I've got a table in the room at the back there. Um, and you're welcome to come and have a look at some back copies if you'd like to. You should have been given a leaflet as you came in today. If you'd like to be sent information about what Tier Fund is doing, just fill in the, the first page and then either give them back to me at the end or send them direct to Tier Fund. Maybe there's uh, people here who would like, need to go and work for Tier Fund, and uh, either in a paid role or as a volunteer, and I know that... Uh, 
Jane has been working for, for TFUN for a while and uh, I think she's going to be speaking a little bit later about what she does in the organisation. Anyway, if you're interested in that, have a look again at the, the leaflet, the, we, uh, the website, I should say, and the, the details are on the leaflet. And then, of course, TFUN does need money to carry out this work. And as I said, your church's regular support is much appreciated, but if you're not already involved and, uh, and if you felt you'd like to give individually or as a family, that would be great. Over a year, a gift of £12 a month would enable two women in the DRC, like Barungi, um, to learn business skills and to, uh, to, to flourish. But whether it's, whether it's £12 or something different, um, whatever amount you give each month, your support will make a huge difference. If you've got children or grandchildren, have you thought about involving them? Sharing together in what's going on and supporting it together as a family is a great way to introduce children to the wider world, to the wider church within the world. And of course, it's a great way to demonstrate um, Christian giving to them. In that case, if you want to give, fill in the, the middle page of the leaflet. As I say, either give it to me or send it to Tear Fund. And if you need more time to, to think or to get details, or perhaps you want to leave Tear Fund some money in your will, that's another way in which you could help, for example. Or you'd just like to discuss possibilities. Put your, your phone number and name down here and tick the, the box and uh, a friendly person from the office will call you in, uh, in a few days' time. And it won't be pressured selling because, as I've already been saying, we believe in empowering people to make their own decisions. So thank you for letting me come and uh, join your service this morning. And at the end, I will be in the, the other room, I, I think. Um, so do come and chat, and uh, I'd love to receive any completed leaflets you may have. I'm also staying for your lunch, thank you. And um, so if you have any questions, I'll be happy to try and answer them then. Archbishop Justin Welby has written a special prayer for Tear Fund's Jubilee Year, and I think that's going to be included in the intercessions. But for now, we're, we're going to play a short slide sequence of uh, images from the Democratic Republic of Congo. And so please take the opportunity while this is, play, while this is playing to think about um, what you've heard this morning and to ask what God is saying to you and then perhaps filling in the, um, the leaflet for us. So, thank you very much. So Jill's um, told us a bit about the difference that we can make um, through praying for Tear Fund's work and also by um, giving financially. And it's great that so many people do uh, one or both of those things already and if it's something that you could um, opt into and take on, that would be amazing. I'd just like to um, briefly tell you about a third way um, that you can get involved and that is um, by taking action. 
Um, and this is about what we can do in our lives to tackle poverty, injustice and climate change and seeing that as part of our worship to God. And I think it's, it's really aligned with what we've been trying to do over the last um, couple of years uh, through our sustainability work. Um, and I know that it's something that's of interest to lots of you. Um, as Jos mentioned, since December, um, I've been really privileged to work for Tear Fund, um, and I work in the advocacy team. Um, my particular role is in communications um, for our UK campaigns. Um, and the aims of this particular team that I work in are to equip Christians to speak up for those in poverty um, by taking various campaign actions, such as signing petitions, uh, writing to MP, that sort of thing, um, to support people to live more sustainably in their own lives, and to help people see this as, as an expression of their faith and understand how it relates to the lives of people in poverty. Um, Jos mentioned that um, TFM's got a goal, a vision um, of seeing 5 million people um, lifted out of poverty. Um, our specific uh, advocacy goal um, for this year is to see 50,000 actions taken to overcome extreme poverty. So if that sort of thing is of interest to you, there are a couple of things you could do. One is you could sign up to get um, Tier Fund action emails. That's different from the general Tier Fund uh, news and updates. Uh, they come from my team and they give regular updates on our action campaigns and specific actions that we can take in our lives. And the other thing you could do is to add your voice to our current advocacy campaign, which is a specific part of the We Won't Stop Till Poverty Stops overall Tier Fund campaign that Jos mentioned. So just to tell you about the current campaign um, in a nutshell, um, it's about supporting people in poverty to gain access to electricity. I imagine lots of us use electricity information. We all use electricity in some way this morning. Obviously, I'm using it right now. Um, we probably all switched on the lights. We might have listened to the radio or made a cup of tea or charged our phones. And obviously, it's something that we do um, without thinking. I was quite shocked um, when I joined Tier Fund to discover that one in seven people in the world have no access to electricity at all. Uh, now, I know stats can be a little bit difficult to get your head around, but um, that, that seemed to me to be enormously high. Um, and this, in turn, is um, one of the key things that keeps people in poverty, because it affects their ability to work and to study, to get access to healthcare, and so on. And because we saw in the video um, the impact that being able to study had um, on uh, Burundi and the story we saw there. Um, the best way for people in poverty to get access to electricity is through local off-grid renewable energy, um, like solar power. It's obviously better for the environment, but it's also cheaper, it's more reliable, it can be quicker to reach people in rural, poor communities um, than the national grid. My colleague, um, in, in, colleague in my team recently got back from a work trip to Tanzania where she met people from self-help groups. Jos mentioned um, some self-help groups in, in Nepal. These were in Tanzania. And these were groups who've taken out loans to buy solar panels. And she told us about a man called Ali who can now open his kiosk in the evening with a solar-powered light. And as a result, he's tripled his income so he can provide better for his family and pay for his children's schooling. She told us about Amos and John, who are two young brothers who want to be doctors, and now they've got a much better chance of doing so because they can study in the evenings. And that's just a couple of examples. And Jos spoke um, about uh, empowerment and Tier Fund's approach to um, empowering people to lift themselves out of poverty, and that's really very much at the heart of our advocacy work as well. The problem is there's not much funding at the moment um, for that kind of energy, so our specific advocacy campaign this year is about asking the World Bank, which is one of the biggest funders of energy access, to shift away from funding fossil fuels and to give more funding to this kind of local clean energy that best helps people to lift themselves out of poverty. 
So that's just a really quick overview. Um, if you'd like to know more about this particular aspect of TFM's work, I would love to talk to you. And I'd love to give you one of these postcards, which looks very similar to um, the ones that you were given on the way in. They're not quite the same. Um, I've got about 50 of these to give away, so do come and ask one if you'd like one. They explain more about the electricity campaign, um, and they also contain um, an action card, which you can fill in to support this campaign uh, and to sign up for the Tier Fund Action emails if you would like to. Um, and as an extra bonus, if you want to do them today, I can take them into the office tomorrow. So thank you, uh, thank you very much for listening, and um, I'd love to talk to you over lunch if you're, uh, if you're coming to that or after the service. One more quick thing. Um, starting tomorrow, uh, Keith Bateson, Christine Sweeting and I are taking on uh, the Mean Bean Challenge in support of Tier Fund. Um, this means we're going to be living on a diet of uh, rice, oats and beans and nothing else for five days. This is to raise money for people in hunger and in poverty that we've been hearing about and also to give us a little bit of an insight into what it's like to be hungry and to... Uh, and all that goes along with, with being hungry and not really being able to function properly. So um, there's a bit more detail about that in the news sheet. Uh, we would love you to sponsor us and help us raise money for Tier Fund. So if that's something you could do, then um, the details are in the news sheet. We'd be really grateful for your support and your prayers, because I'm expecting it to be quite a difficult week. So thank you. <laughs>